to steal the Henderson High School sign. Well, just for a little while. We were, we're giving it back, people. Don't worry. So we, get, we go. So we've got a car at one end with walkie-talkies. We've got a car at another end uh, watching for the police with walkie-talkies. We have a walkie-talkie, and four of us go up top with a ladder up onto the roof, and we go up with tools to take the Henderson High School sign down and to replace it with a giant green shamrock. How awesome is this, right? This is good stuff. So we get up there, and we've got the sign halfway down, so it's sitting like this. And all of a sudden, we get the call that we're hoping we don't get. Hit the deck. The police are driving down the road. So we're all laying on the ground, praying. I don't know if, we're, you know, if anybody's a Christian or not, but we're all praying, please. And, and the police car goes by at like 10 miles an hour. It's just so slow, just doo, doo, doo. And we're thinking, all he has to do is look, and he's going to see. Henderson High School is sideways. There's a problem here. But he keeps driving, and we finally get the, um, the, you know, the, the walkie-talkie going, okay, he's gone, he's gone, go, go, go. We're, we're moving even faster at this point. We get the sign down, we throw it to the floor, we replace it with the shamrock, we don't bolt it in, we just lay it there, move, and then I remember distinctly uh, running to the edge, looking for the ladder, and falling off the roof into a giant sticker bush. I went straight into the middle of it. Matter of fact, I, I, and I confirmed that with a friend of mine. I was back in the States in July, and one of the guys I went on the mission with, I had, I had a meal with, and he goes, you remember when you fell off the roof? I'm like, yes, I do. You remember that too. He's like, oh, yeah, we all remember. You fell, you know, I, I'm alive. It was fine. So we go back, and then we take the Henderson High School sign, and we go to my high school, and we put it on the roof of my high school because that's what you do when you're a 17-year-old boy. Not these boys, by the way, in our youth group. That's when I was a boy. So anyway, then we go to the game the next night, and sure enough, uh, we're playing the team, and we see our shamrock, and it's been painted blue and white by Henderson High School, and they've got Henderson High School in the middle of our shamrock over on their sidelines, and we're not happy about that, me and my buddies. We're just like, I don't like that. Let's go get our shamrock back. I mean, because I'm so huge, right? So like seven of us walk over there like we're big and tough. We're not. We're zero tough, zero big. But we, as quick as we can, we grab our shamrock, and then we run as fast as we can out of there, get it back, and we donate it to my high school. Little, little do they know the story behind it all. And my buddy gave me the picture. It's still hanging in the high school today. That's our shamrock. Still there says class of 1983. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? That's a good mission, people. It's a good mission. So Henderson High School got their sign back. It's all fine. It wasn't broken. It's on their school. It was a prank. But uh, that was a mission that I went on as a kid that reminds me that sometimes it's cool to go on a mission. You guys just were on a mission trip, right, to Cambodia to minister to people. And, and I love the idea of being on a mission. You know, it really helps us to focus our life and what we're doing. So as we look at this passage in Mark chapter 2, I want you to think this is, this is a mission that, that these folks are on. Now right before this happens in Mark chapter 2, here's what, here's what it says. The passage before it says that Jesus was going from town to town preaching the gospel and healing people and casting out demons. Jesus, Jesus was on a mission, right? He knew exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Matter of fact, he said to his disciples, 
This is what I came here to do. I came here to go from town to town and tell people about how they could come to know the God who created them. That's his mission. So then it says this in Mark 2. It says that Jesus is at home. So Jesus is from Nazareth, but his home, this is the place that he feels the most at home, is a place called Capernaum. You guys heard of Capernaum? It's a little fishing village just uh, on the Sea of Galilee, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. 1,500 people live in this village, right? And uh, they, they exist based on the uh, ability to fish and to sell their wares and to be a part of a community uh, there together. And Jesus loved Capernaum. Matter of fact, I was there last year, and uh, I found this out. This is really fun. So if you read through the Gospels, Jesus did in this little village, this little town of 1,500 people, he did 21 different miracles in this one place. Isn't that mind-blowing? He did 21 different ones. So he's here, and it says he's at home. And it says that when he gets home, let me read it, that... um, All right. Too many things to put in my hand. It says, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. So I want you to picture Jesus is back in Capernaum, and everybody's heard about it. You know, he is crazy famous. Wherever he goes, people want to know, where's Jesus? People have traveled up from Jerusalem and Judea and all across Galilee to this little village because they've heard that Jesus is there. Now, this think about this. This is before texting, social media. This is before any of that. This is literally like word has gotten out across all the land for everyone to know that there's this guy named Jesus, and he's become so well-known. By the way, we're only in chapter 2 of Mark. He's become so well-known so quickly that people have traveled from all over the place because they want to be near him. So they're in this house, and you can go see this house even today. There's a church that's been built over it. It's not a big place. It was probably about three or 400 square feet of a room. And Jesus is in this room, and it is so full, there's literally people at his feet. They're crammed in, and then they're crammed, you know, they're looking through any, any doorway or window they can possibly look through to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and then there's just hundreds more outside. I mean, there's just so many people, you can't get in the room. And he is preaching to them. He's talking to them about his Father and their Heavenly Father and how they can know him. That's what's happening, right? And then this, this is what happens next. It says this. It says, they came. We don't know their names. They came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to Jesus because of the crowd, said they gave up and they went home. Do you think that's what it actually says? Just seeing if you're paying attention. No, that's the worst story ever. They gave up and went home. No one writes that story and sticks it in the Bible, by the way. They gave up and went home. There's no stories like that. They didn't give up. I love that. They probably felt like giving up. Probably somebody's like, there's too many people. Let's just go. We'll try to get another point. But they didn't. Actually, this is what they said. It says, it says, they could not get near to him because of the crowd. So they removed the roof. 
above him. And when they had made a big enough opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I love that. It's a nice way of saying they absolutely destroyed the roof. They ripped it open. Big enough to let down a full-size man through the hole. So this is not a little hole. This is a gigantic hole. There's stuff falling on people's heads, right? This is someone's roof. And they go, I don't care. We're going to do whatever it takes to get this guy in front of Jesus because Jesus is here and this might be our only shot. They are on a mission. I would have loved to have been a part of that conversation, right? You get there and they're sitting there and they're going, there's like a thousand people. How are we going to get in? I don't know. I have an idea. What? Let's go up on the roof. The roof's flat, by the way. This is no A, you know, A-frame roof. It's, they're all flat. Matter of fact, in the village, all the houses were connected to one another. You could have gotten on the roof at one end of the village and walked all the way down to their house to the other end of the village. They were all flat. And somebody said, well, what are we going to do? We're going to just rip it open. We're going to rip it open? Yes, we're going to rip it open. So we're going to need some rope. Right? We're going to need to tie this around. We're going to need to make sure we can let him down. So there's some discussion, right? There's some planning that needs to happen. No risk assessments, by the way. <laughs> someone get someone's signature on this. No, there's none of that. It's just we're just going to rip this thing open. And they go down there and they rip open the roof. Why would they do that? Why would they go to so much trouble? Well, here's why. Because they were convinced They were absolutely convinced that if they could just get their friend in front of Jesus, something miraculous would happen. Something earth-shattering, life-changing, overwhelming, amazing could and would happen, right? That's why you take that risk. Otherwise, you're like, do you really want to get your friend who's probably never walked in his whole life? This is their friend, right? If you've grown up in this village, everybody knows everybody. This is somebody that's dear to them. Why would you go through, we're going to pull you out of your bed. We're going to, you know, drag you across the whole village up onto a roof, and then we're going to let you down. Why would you do all that if you weren't fully convinced something incredible is going to happen? Right? But they were. They were convinced. They're jumping the queue, by the way. If they were British, there would be people like, no, 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 that's not the queue. The queue's over here. What are you doing? But they're like, we're not British. We don't care. There is no queue here. We're getting in front of Jesus. Go to China. There's no such thing as a queue in China, by the way, if you've ever gone there. British people are like, I don't want that. That's not good. Then it says this. This is so important. Listen to this. It says, they let down the bed. And then verse 5 says this. When Jesus saw their faith. You get that? When Jesus saw their faith, not the paralytic's faith, when he saw their faith, this group of people who are on a mission to get their friend in front of Jesus, when he saw their faith, then it says this. Jesus does uh, the unexpected, by the way. If you read enough about Jesus, you'll realize that every time you're following him around, just when you think you know what he's going to do, he does something else. It says this, when he saw their faith, then he said, it says, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
what is going on here? This is not what anyone in the room was expecting to happen, right? What were they expecting to happen? They're going to heal him. He's going to heal him like he's been healing everybody else. Well, he just reached down and heal him. But Jesus seizes on an opportunity because Jesus knows who's in the room. It's not just people who are there to be healed, and it's not just people there who are excited about hearing what Jesus has to say. There's people in the room that hate Jesus. They want to see him fail. They doubt his authority, right? And they're waiting for an opportunity to get rid of him because all of a sudden, everybody wants to be around Jesus. So they're sitting there. So Jesus knows that. So Jesus decides in this moment, I'm going to do something I'm going to open up the door a little bit more. I'm going to let people know a little bit more about me. You see, when you read through the Gospels, Jesus doesn't just, boom, show up and then reveal everything about himself. He does it over a period of time so that people can handle it. If he just suddenly showed all of his glory at once, we wouldn't be able to handle it. We would just be flat on our faces. We we would be done, right? When they went to arrest him in the garden, and they said, are you the one... He said, I am. Do you remember what happened to all, all the soldiers? It said it knocked them to, their, to the floor because he revealed so much of his glory they couldn't handle it. So Jesus is just opening up the door just a little bit so that people can understand a little bit more about him. And this is what he does. He takes this opportunity and he says, your sins are forgiven. And then it says the scribes, these, um, these guys who think they know the law better than Jesus are sitting in the back of the room, and it says they're murmuring, they're not happy, and, and inside their hearts they're thinking, they're thinking this, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what it says. I'll read it to you. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. And by the way, blaspheming is probably the worst thing you can do. As far as they're concerned, if you are blaspheming against God, you need to die. I'm talking chapter 2 already, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time have already decided he needs to go. This guy needs to die. And then then they say in their hearts, who can forgive sins but God alone? Which is exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate. Immediately it says, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? What is easier to say to the paralytic, that your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now everybody in the room knows what's easier to say is that your sins are forgiven because nobody can prove they're not, right? Right? Way harder to just look at somebody and say, get up, walk, you're healed. And then Jesus says this, this is so important. He says, so that you may know. And the word know there means to be fully convinced. Not head knowledge. This is, I am absolutely convinced. And then Jesus says that the Son of Man, which is what he calls himself, which is an Old Testament term, to remind them that he is the one they've been waiting for, right? He's declaring right here, right now, chapter 2, I am the Messiah, I am the one you've been waiting for, and I have the authority to forgive sins, which, by the way, you say only God can do. Well, guess what? That's me. 
So if anybody ever says to you, Jesus never claimed to be God, take him to Mark chapter 2, right here. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Has full authority, which means if you have the authority, it means you have the ability, you have the right to forgive sins. He has the right to do it because he's God. He has the authority, the ability to do it because he's God. So that you may be convinced of that. He then looks at the paralytic and he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, rise, take up your mat, and walk in front of all these people. Right? And then this is what it says. I always forget to sit on this, so I'm going to sit on it right now. This, is, this feels good. It says this. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And verse 12 simply says, he rose. And immediately he picked up his bed, and he went out before them, and they were all amazed. They were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen anything like this before. You think those guys were glad they ripped up in the roof? You think that paralytic was glad they ripped up in the roof? Yeah. His life was changed. He had never walked. Now he's walking. Everything has changed. And better than that, his sins have been forgiven. Jesus is giving us a preview of exactly what he came to do, which was make it possible for all of our sins to be forgiven. Right? That's what he's doing. Now, I love this passage, and there's so many things you can get out of it, but here's what I want us to get out of it this morning. The first is this. You ready? We're all on a mission. We've all been called to be on a mission. I'm a missionary, right? Moved to the UK 19 years ago to to be a missionary. But the reality is that we're all missionaries. I don't know if you know that, but you're a missionary. If you're a teenager, you're a missionary right now. If you are in your 80s or 90s, and you think, I'm pretty close to heaven, you're still a missionary right now. You've been called to a mission. Right before this happens, Jesus says, my job, I've been sent to go out into all these towns and talk to people about God. And then right before Jesus leaves, right, Matthew 28, the end of his life, he says, now, and he's looking at all of his disciples, followers, he said, you do the same thing. Go and make disciples of all nations. I'm sending you. Someone said this to me, uh, someone said this at a meeting one time, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, you guys, the church, you ready for this? You're plan A on reaching the world. And then he said this, and there is no plan B. We're plan A, and there is no plan B. We have been called to a mission to reach the world, to make disciples to rip open the roof and get our friends in front of Jesus so their lives can be changed. We've all been called to do that. The second observation I have from this is that they did it together as a team. They weren't called to just do it by themselves, right? It was a group of people 
working together. This is why we gather on a Sunday morning. You guys know that this gathering on a Sunday morning, here's the purpose behind it. It's to teach us about how we can trust and follow God, and it's to motivate us. It's to build us up, so to motivate us to leave this room and go reach the rest of the world. Church is not designed for us solely. This is designed to motivate and encourage and inspire us to then go out into the world and rip open roofs. That's what it's designed to do. Isn't that great? Amen. Thank you. Yes, that's what we're supposed to do. Every single one of us have been called to do that. But here's the great news. Some people are like, but I can't. I remember years ago talking about this, and there was a friend of mine who I just saw yesterday at a wedding, and he's like, Michael, but I'm not you. I can't get up and talk like that in front of people. Here's the great news. You don't have to. Your calling is the gifts and ability that God has given you to be used. For some of us, it's, you know what it is? It's driving a minibus. I'm going to reach the world by, by tucking in and driving a minibus. Or, or it's getting up here and playing a guitar. Or it's hanging out with the children that some amazing people are doing right now. Or, or making crazy videos with the young people. Right? Or, or serving a coffee. Or baking bread. Or making the best hamburgers around. That's what it is. It's you go and God gives me you a passion and a gift and ability and you use it for the kingdom. Isn't that good? You don't have to be a stand-up front Billy Graham evangelist. You just get to do and use the gifts that God's given you. But, you're, but, the, but the focus is I've been given these gifts and I'm on a mission. So my focus is using the gifts for God's glory so that more people can hear about Jesus. And the final thing is this, and I think this is important. This guy that they brought into the house, he was their friend. It changes things when it becomes personal, doesn't it? When it's somebody you know who's so dear to you, maybe it's a brother or a sister, a mom or a dad, or your own kids, or it's a neighbor, but it's a dear friend that you hang out with. And here's the reality that is, makes it difficult. Uh, they've researched this. When a person becomes a Christian, if you've become a Christian, at least in the States, within five years, most Christians, once they become a, a person become a Christian in the States, within five years they don't have any friends anymore who don't know Christ. They've put themselves in a little Christian bubble. It's not that they meant to do that. It's just how life wound up. And so when you talk to them about sharing their faith with somebody, they kind of go, I don't even know who to talk to, right? That may not be true for you, but here's what I would say. The most practical picture I can give you is this. Is there somebody in your life that you can be Jesus to that doesn't know Jesus? Is there somebody, one person? Imagine for a minute if everyone here had one person that they wanted to make sure they did everything they knew how to do to introduce them to Jesus. Imagine if, ready, 1.7 billion or 2.5 billion Christians, however many there are, all pick one person. 
Think about how long it would take to reach the whole world. Not very long. It just takes us understanding and believing that we're on a mission, that my life is a mission. My life, the mission of my life isn't that I make a lot of money or I have a great job, I make it up the career ladder. That's not the mission of my life. That's, That's the result of being on the mission and using the gifts I have. But the mission of every one of our lives, every one of us, is to rip open a roof so that somebody can meet Jesus. That is what we have all, every single one of us, have been called to do. Right? This is why we're going to throw a glow party. Right? It's why we have Sunday night church tonight. Bring friends. It's why we're going to have a quiz night at some point. Bring your friends. It's why on the 15th of November, we're going to have a mega club in here for 100 plus young people, teenagers, so they can hear about Jesus. We have a heart as a church that people would come and hear and get to know and have their lives changed by Jesus. So we do it together. So here's your practical application, right? Pray. Leave here and pray. God, who do you want my one person to be? Teenagers, who's your one person? That when your youth group's hanging out together, you're going to go, come with me. I want you to hear this. Who are you going to rip open the roof for? Students. I love hanging out with the students from the university. These guys, they have such a heart to reach lost people at the university. They work on it all the time. Who are you going to hang out with? Who's your one person? And when you find that one person, you pray for them, you love them, you're in their life. And when the Lord opens up the door, you tell them about Jesus. Yeah? You rip open the roof. I love this. We're on a mission, people. Sometimes for Krispy Kreme donuts. Sometimes for school signs. But always for Jesus. Yeah? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. Thank you for reminding us that we are on a mission.